This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome into episode 104 of Half Measures. And joining me is co-host Senator Bail Organa himself. It's Dan Whiting. Dan. Kia ora, Paul. How are you today? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. What people don't know, of course, is when we log in to talk on the podcast is that we we have to type our name in and we very seldom put Paul and Dan because we're creatives, you know, as, such as I want. This week, you've gone with Bail Organa and I'm guessing there's going to be a reason behind that that we'll find out at some point. There is a reason, and I would have never guessed in a thousand years that of all the names in Star Wars history to choose, Bail Organa would be the my username on entry. I know. It's most unexpected. It's got me excited. Um, shall we dive in? Shall we uh, find out what you've no. been watching this week, then? All right. Well, um, a couple of things. So, you know, last week I mentioned my... Wes Anderson revival or experience that I was going through and I thought you know what let's do another Wes Anderson movie so I jumped into the Royal Tenenbaums on Disney plus so this is a another oldie so this is 2001 I have a vague memory of maybe seeing bits of this movie uh back in the day but for whatever reason it didn't stick but this time around Stuck like glue, Paul. Absolutely loved it. Had a fantastic time. It's got another star-studded cast. Gene Hackman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Ben Stiller, Angelica Houston, Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, Danny Glover. The list goes on. Um, So I don't know if you've seen this movie, but this is basically about a a centric family that reluctantly gather under the same, same roof for various reasons. And it's just narrated in such a fantastic way um, by Alec um. Alec Baldwin, and it's again like just got that sort of real Wes Anderson charm. It's you know so much so similar to Rushmore. Still got that kind of like low key Napoleon Dynamite indie vibe to it. I just had a great time. Like it's a it's quite a dark movie at times, but it's just it's so great seeing these like these are big actors now. Like. In 2001, I guess some of these guys might have sort of been early in their career. Like they're, mm. they're pretty young, but it was just a really fun, good watch. This one sticks out in my memory uh, because this was the first movie that I watched when I moved to New Zealand, which was in 2001. And so I just remember sitting down to watch my first movie and having i just had this memory of having such a great time and laughing so so much and now just even looking at that poster again and realizing my goodness over 20 years ago gene hackman i mean it's like this is one of his last movies you know i just miss seeing that guy you just take it for granted when when clint eastwood and robert redford just keep showing up in movies and then all of a sudden they're gone and and, you know gene hackman retired a long time ago and this is this was one of his final movies and i think this is a great one for him to go out on it's so funny, is it? Because it's it's such a a dry movie, and there's so many just like long lasting jokes in here. Like, so Gene Hackman um, character basically 
uh, pretends that he's dying to sort of um, get his his family back together. Um, and it's sort of a ruse that's so thinly painted, it, it, it doesn't really work. Gwyneth Paltrow, who's his daughter, who's actually adopted, like it's brought up that she's adopted constantly in the movie and all the flashbacks, whenever she's introduced, she's adopted. Like she's a she's an adult. She she hides it. She smokes from from her family. Uh, there's another uh, kid, um, Luke uh, Luke Wilson, and he's a he was a tennis star, and his character is just constantly wearing like a tennis headband, like you would imagine in the in the eighties, nineties, and it's just kind of like these quirky, defining um, traits that these characters have, and it, it's just such a good time. And I think it's one of those movies where again, like, it really sits with you, and it has quite a a depth of different meanings on so many different levels. The Wilson family, this and the the Baldwin's, like you know, you've got you've got Alec Baldwin, we've got Luke Wilson, we've got Owen Wilson. I always lose count of how many brothers or cousins or whatever there are. Um, but this whole cast from top to bottom, as you say, is absolutely fantastic. This is Disney Plus, did you say? Disney Plus. I you've gone on a bit of a run of just watching some oldies, and you're just getting me in the mood to go in there and start exploring some older movies. Then there's there's some really good stuff on Disney Plus. I eh? like it's. You've got to go uh, diving and digging for it, I, I found. And it, it doesn't quite surface up as many recommendations as, say, a, a Netflix would. Like you can find them easy enough, but it doesn't have that same, I think, search engine that just kind of is always presenting you with interesting stuff. It does, I think, once you start watching shows, like obviously now it's recommending a whole bunch of Wes Anderson movies, uh, and, I, and I'm definitely keen to watch more. It's a good time. Bill Murray often works with, with Wes Anderson, and I saw this week, actually, he's uh, – He's got another one in production called Asteroid City with Tom Hanks, Jeff Goldblum, Adrian Brody, Scarlett Johansson, and again, Bill Murray. Um, Wes Anderson is continuing to just keep making stuff. And it's always, there's always something in a Wes Anderson film, isn't there? Oh, there is. And I think, I don't, like, I think I'm turning into a little bit of a fanboy about this whole sort of genre of movies. And it kind of, I think it is kind of this, this slightly kind of, indie-ish vibe that they all have that just makes mm-hmm. them so good. And I was looking on a Reddit thread actually around uh, what we send us the movies you should well, watch order you should watch these movies in. And everyone kind of recommended going back and watching these older ones first so that you sort of get to see what Wes Anderson does with with the budget he has and, and the cast he has. And obviously that improves and gets better and better over time. So I'm kind of glad I'm going back to these these classics. There's something about his movie posters as well so like if, if you were just to google wes anderson movies and just look there's something about the the style of poster that's always it's very colorful there's always a lot going on there's a lot of um as you said sort of eccentricness it's it's great it's i don't know that there's anyone quite like him you know you sort of think about that sort of tim burton end of the scale and there's various other directors that have a certain flavor this is a different flavor Mm, no, I agree. Completely agree. It's good stuff. Check it out on Disney+. Plus. The other uh, movie that I've watched this week, Paul, and um, I know that you are keen to watch this movie, so I'm, I'm not going to go deep into spoilers, but uh, I was scanning uh, on iTunes on Apple Movies the other day, and The Many Saints of Newark is on there. You. You. I was thinking about this and thinking, is Dan going to go ahead and watch it? Okay. Let's 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 go spoiler light, Dan, because you're right. I am keen. Yeah, no. So I 
it's a tough one, right? Like, cause it was kind of, you know, we talked a little bit about Sopranos of late, uh, on the podcast and it definitely, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Oh, finally. And especially after talking, um, about, uh, Vera Farminga, her character and like, you know, what a, mm. you know, amazing chance to play Olivia Soprano. Um, I don't know if I had a great time watching this one, Paul. Ooh. And it's, it's kind of weird, like in the sense that fantastic cast, you're about this, you're, you're kind of about the Sopranos, but it's really about a, a family back from the Sopranos before the Sopranos really, really come into power. Mm. And it's got lots of character sort of callbacks that you're sort of like, will remind you of the Sopranos. You're like, oh, that's, and it's so great to see these, because uh, we sort of in the Sopranos, we see a lot of these characters as older guys, knock around guys, you know, they've been around for a while. And to see them as young men, uh, you know, this is sort of set after or sort of around the, the Vietnam War sort of time. So it's, you know, there's, they're different. It's a different time. Yeah. But I think what I struggled with this, with this movie is I was just so desperate to see uh, a young Tony Soprano and I didn't get enough of it. And it just left me wanting more. And I, afterwards, I was doing a bit of research, and I see there's a, a little bit of talk online that there's a potential to make a, a second movie with much more of a focus on young Tony. But I, I just want that's what I wanted, and that's kind of what I thought I was signing up for, having sort of avoided a lot of trailers and a lot of, a lot of context. But this very much is about uh, yeah before before the Soprano family. Now, in saying all of this, acting. Great story is good, but it's not what I wanted from a, a Sopranos prequel. And I think if you sort of watched it as maybe almost a not a standalone, but a if you don't put that pressure on yourself, I think you'll probably have a better time. And the other thing, and I feel like I kind of say this a lot, so I'm probably a bit of a broken record with it. Would have been a great ten part episode, great ten part sort of series where because there's so many great characters to explore, so many sort of nuances between their relationships and how they sort of became so powerful in um, in New Jersey. And I think it's just, there's so much they could have done with it, and it's a lot to do in a, a two hour movie. It's it's really interesting you brought that up because I was thinking the same thing. And if ever a series um, sort of screamed for a a prequel series this would the surprise would be one and, and to go down the path of a movie is obviously quite a deliberate decision and to not go with a movie we never got a sopranos movie and yet here we are getting a prequel movie it felt like the tv route i don't I mean finance networks i don't know what's behind the decisions i'm interested when you say about not as much tony so i'm guessing you mean in terms of of, of screen time of that character but can i also ask you Michael Gandolfini, son of James, playing that character, does how does that feel from a um, a, a Tony? It works. It works? Yeah, it, okay. it, it works for me, and I think, and I, I just wanted I wanted more of him, and it's because I think the Many Saints of Newark isn't like it's it's a, it speaks to the origin of how how Tony becomes who Tony is, but it's it's so much bigger than that, and it's I was thinking about it as you were just talking, and I wonder. Because I had to, I had to hire, I had to rent this movie right on iTunes for seven ninety nine. And if I was watching it for, you know, free as part of our subscription with Neon or um, whoever, whoever might have it, would would I have felt differently about it? But because I, you know, like had to pay money, like, yeah. and then I, I expected something, and it wasn't quite right. In saying that, and I feel like I'm being a little bit hard on it, 
I would watch it again. And I think if I was, if I had just done a complete fresh binge of The Sopranos, I would definitely go back to this movie because I would imagine it would probably be fantastic. And I, I would hazard a guess it might actually be a good movie over a couple of rewatches because yeah. you might just sort of get more and more out of it. I think the, my cautiousness is just it wasn't quite what I expected. But in saying that, I'd done none of the homework and I hadn't read the back of the box. So that sounds like a half measure. I am. Um... One of the good things, because you watch a lot of new material before I do typically, and one of the good things is you temper me in terms of my expectation, because often I get overhyped, sometimes by you. We'll get to that when we talk about Boba Fett. Um, but um, sometimes you also, you just bring my expectations down a notch or two, and then I go into something, and then I often come out of it with a better experience. I am curious, because there is such an amazing cast, and some of them playing some famous characters from The Sopranos, just... Um, is there a standout like a you know Johnny Bernthal, Vera Farmiga, Ray Liotta, any you know, anyone else that sort of really was like oh that was a real great performance or it's there were so many great performances so Alessandro Nivola who plays Adiki Moltisanti fantastic I would watch a Goodfellas type movie with him in a heartbeat John Bernthal he's a hero like I love that guy um, fantastic as uh, Johnny Soprano. Vera is um, Livia Soprano. It, honestly, I wouldn't if you if I didn't know it was her, mm-hmm. I would have been like, "There's no way that's not her." Like the makeup, yep. the the voice, everything was just so perfect, and the way that she would speak to uh, Anthony or Anthony is like yeah. it just re- it re- it put me back in those sort of scenes where you know she's you know, in her 70s, 80s, and she's giving Tony a hard time about something. Like, it was so perfect. She's clearly done a lot of study. Uh, Ray Liotta, again, the original Goodfella, like, fantastic. There's a, it's, it's a great cast, and they all do a fantastic job of kind of playing these of playing these characters that we, we know and love. I mean, I, I just feel like there's, there's so much more story to tell there, and it's I just don't know if a movie was the right medium. Yeah. The other thing I'm interested in is is what how you and I will react to um, Yellowstone, was it 18, 1883 or whatever it is, be just on the same, you know, because I've, I've been thinking about that in terms of how much we enjoy Yellowstone and thinking, um, um, what is what I'm expecting going into that series, not what that series is going to deliver for me? And do I need to already temper those expectations as well? Because it's kind of a similar thing, this yeah, that's a good point, right? Because I think part of what makes Yellowstone great for me is uh, is Kevin Costner. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, I, I've come to love the cast. I, I love Rip. I love Beth. I love Casey. And I going into 1883 will be a, a different experience. Uh, but I, I imagine it'll be good. And I, I actually wouldn't mind taking another look at this movie, maybe as a movie of the week when it comes on to whatever platform Nice. Um, here, here for streaming. So maybe we can do a, a bit of a deeper dive once we've both had a watch. I love it. I'm keen. Cool. All right. And then I've also managed to finish a book, Paul, a book. My first book. Nerd. Of 2022. I've done it. I've read a book. Amazing. That book is one that you've read, I imagine. It is Ahsoka, a Star Wars um, novel by E.K. Johnson. E.K. Johnson. It's sitting on the shelf. Um, and she's undercover and she, she runs away and she's working in some kitchens and uh, it's starting to come back to me. Yeah, so this is – okay, so just to put a little bit of context, I've been 
I've been on a Star Wars high, and we'll we'll get to this when we talk about uh, the book of Boba Fett. But like, I am on such a a Star Wars euphoric state at the moment that I just can't get in. Like, I'm I'm ready to rewatch all of Clone Wars, all of Rebels. I want to watch all the movies. I want to play the Lego Star Wars video game. I am just like, give me everything, and I'm like you know what, Daniel, you should get into the books. You know, maybe that will give you some new stories. And I thought to myself, you know what? I could text Paul and be like, what book, sh- what book should I start with? And I was like, you know what? I'll skip that. I'm going <laughs> to jump straight into Ahsoka. Ahsoka's one of my favorite characters. I'm intrigued to hear more. And so, yeah, you're basically right. So the the basic uh, plot of this, without sort of getting too deep into, into the weeds of it, is it's kind of set after uh, Anakin becomes Vader Ahsoka's kind of, you know, no longer in the Jedi Order. She's on a a remote moon. She's basically trying to stay undercover because everyone's hunting sort of any remaining Jedis. And through a series of events, basically, an Inquisitor finds out that there's a Jedi on the planet. Um, Ahsoka's got, like, no lightsabers because obviously she left her lightsabers, which we saw in Season 7 of the Clone Wars. Yes, yes, yes. So she's – but this is ultimately a story of how Ahsoka kind of becomes, you know, the – a key player in the resistance and we find out how she gets her white lightsabers and i'm telling you paul had an amazing time so hyped up gave me a whole new love for bail organa like this i love that there's like references in this book to obi-wan yes she talks about anakin <clears throat> talks about master yoda bail organa's popping in um r2d who's there and it's it just felt so like it was giving me all the feels and all the vibes that I wanted from Star Wars. That's great. I you you're bringing lots of memories back from this uh, this read, which wasn't that long ago for me, but I've read so many of them. It is a good one. This is also interestingly, I don't know if you spotted this. But this is technically classified as a young adult novel, and I have found the quality of the Star Wars young adult novels to be absolutely top tier. I I. I, I talked to my twelve year old son about reading these books, and I always say start with these. They're so good. Um, I love the tone of it, the undercover tone when she's going from planet to planet. She's trying to stay off the grid and she's sort of not giving her full name. And um, it is a wonderful thing to do to be able to jump in. And I've had a similar vibe. I'm actually in the middle of uh, a Star Wars novel myself at the moment. And I I, I find that watching like the book of Boba Fett and, and thinking about the new series to come, it does, you want something in the in- interim. And these books... They're all, they're, I've I've seldom read a bad one, and this is this is definitely I would say in my this would be in my top ten, and I, there's like forty of them. So yeah, this is definitely my top ten, and I've only read a couple. So um, it's yeah, it's just such a, a fantastic and easy read, and I think it makes sense that it's it's young adult, right? And it did take me a little bit to get into it, and at first I was like, oh, it felt a little bit mundane and. Uh, Ahsoka is trying to sort of live this low-key undercover life, but also trying to sort of protect herself. And but it eventually kind of builds up as as you know things start to happen in the Star Wars universe as they do. And it's just it's a really good time. And I think again, if you're a fan of uh, the Clone Wars, you're a fan of Rebels, and you want to know more about Ahsoka. You, this is a, a great way to kind of find out a, a bit more about her, yeah. and particularly even just sort of the origin story of those white lightsabers. Amazing. 100%. And perfect timing as well, because surely, surely we'll be getting an Ahsoka trailer in the in the coming months. 
No doubt, no doubt. And essentially, I've already jumped into my next Star Wars book. Like, it might be a few episodes before we uh, before we talk about it, but do you want to know what that is? Yeah, I'm looking. It's the the Dark Disciple. Oh yes, yes, that's the one. Uh, that's the, one of the very few uh, books that are actually also set in that time frame. Uh, Christy Golden, who is one of my favourite Star Wars authors, it's a good read. I'm keen it, keen to hear. We've got a we've got a a Jedi with a, a kill order. Yep. He's working with Asaz Venturus. They're going after Count Dooku. Ah, oh, I'm al- I'm already so hyped up. It's my it's my new jam. It's my uh, honestly, I'm getting excited just thinking about it. I'm gonna have to say right now, and I've reviewed this book on the on the pod uh, Battlefront Two. Uh, that that one, which is Inferno Squad, is for me probably possibly my number one of the lot. If you're keen, that's set directly after the destruction of the first Death Star. Honestly, I, I almost guarantee you love it. It's on my list. I, I was looking at a. a recommendation on the website the other day about the top 10 uh canon star wars books to to read and it's that's on the list so i'm just sort of working my way down this list um checking out the different books so i'm looking forward to some more book chat with you in the coming episodes i love it i love it and i only said nerd because of course you called me a nerd when i did the book review so i was just returning the favor that's noted and my feelings are hurt (laughs) um and that is me apart from the things that we've been watching together how about yourself cool well that was I really enjoyed having everything you read, um, watched and read this week, Dan. That was fantastic. This week, I am now into Tomorrow Never Dies, my Bond movie, 1997, uh, which is the one where Bond sets out to stop a media mogul's plan to induce war between China and the UK. Um, this won't sound like a ringing endorsement, but it was better than I remembered it. I sort of came into the thinking, oh, uh, is this one of the, not one of the good ones? And it's it's not superb but it was better than i remembered it and maybe i was coming in with really low expectations do you have much of a memory of this one dan um i a light memory it's not one of my favorite ones so it's not one i've seen a lot but i just looking through the cast list and uh, some of the set photos definitely i i remember it's it's sort of core storyline yeah it's um it's a different feel in, in so many respects to golden Knights. The, the biggest thing that stands out to me is it's particularly heavy on gadgets, um, which was a real contrast to to go nice. So there's the there's the scene where Bond is in like he's in the he's lying on the back seat of a BMW and he's controlling it by what today's standards would essentially be a video game on your smartphone. Um, there's there's probably the one of the weakest stories that I've come across in a wee while, and I've been on such a good run with the the Dalton movies and then, and then golden eye. Um, what I did like, I mean, Brosnan himself is in great form as bond. I think he actually, how do I say this? He, he looks his best in this movie. He sort of just looks more refined and more assured than golden eye. He's got a, a bit of a shabber haircut and the clothes are a bit more, I don't know. Um, he's, he's just peaking it. So, regardless of what story he's given to work with as a bond i have no complaints i think he's he's really watchable he's he's great fun to watch it was great fun seeing um michelle yo show up um who i'm so used to now she for me she's kept in georgia of the starship enterprise and uh, sorry of the starship discovery and so seeing her uh, back in 1997 with bond was was good 
Um, there's a little cameo for Jodon Baker, who is another actor I really enjoy. Visually, the movie is very, very good. There's some good cinematography. It feels more modern in many sequences. This, I don't know about you, but if like if you think about a series of movies, this and Bond is a good example. There's kind of a point where you draw a line in the sand and you sort of say these ones are modern and these ones uh, are old. They're now old movies. And I wondered if the line was going to be at Casino Royale and say from there forward is modern. But this this movie just feels very modern and there's a there's a lot of good effects in here. But of course, effects often are the compromise of a good story. Mm, it's in, it's interesting right because I, I think still my struggle apart from with Goldeneye is I I just don't have a a bond connection with Pierce Brosnan and I don't know what it is I it's like a mental block for me that when I look at these look at these posters I look at the uh, the photos and it just it doesn't appeal to me for some reason and I and I don't know why because I like I love James Bond I love the concept of the character I love some of the really old James Bond I particularly you know I've talked about it before big fan of Sean Connery um it just I don't know what it is it just doesn't work for me and it's it's weird and it's I I wish I had more of an affinity for them yeah it's interesting because I I think I connected so much with Goldeneye that it was, as I said last week it was my most watched that I do have that relationship feel with with Brosnan but watching this movie it dissipates away and there's things like I mean Elliot Carver as the villain doesn't really work that well in all due respect um, uh, Jonathan Price is a, is a fantastic effort but um, I think maybe it worked more in 1997 when the idea of a digital news and controlling news maybe was more unknown and a bit scary and a bit new compared to to now i think that's the thing right like it's it's almost better with the old movies because the technology is almost so old that it kind of like it's it kind of makes it fun and you can kind of embrace it whereas anything kind of around the the late 90s early 2000s it is kind of laughable and it doesn't it doesn't just age as well as some of these other things. And that's that's no fault of the, the cast or the crew or the story writers. I think it's just technology and society has moved on so quickly that it's, you know, it's like going back to the Matrix, right? Like it's it's such a, it's, it's not a concept that wows us anymore. Yeah, it's it, I think you hit the nail on the head and it's um, going to be interesting over the next couple of movies because there's only two to go um, as to whether or not that is something that continues. Um and I look. I I never try and single out performances, but the character uh, Carver's wife that they gave Terry Hatcher was not a. It was poorly written. Actually, it didn't feel like much more of a cameo. But I didn't find Terry Hatcher overly convincing in this role either. So that was a real shame when you think about um, some of the the other cast that have, have acted alongside Bond in the movie movies I've been talking about recently. But um, look, the action's good. The story's a little bit convoluted. It's part, It's a poor follow-up to GoldenEye, but it's not as bad as I thought. And yeah, I mean, hopefully things pick up with The World Is Not Enough, uh, which is the penultimate Bond movie in what has been a, I guess, 20 weeks. What's that? Five, five month rewatch marathon. I don't know what you're going to do with yourself after this, Paul. I hope you've got something lined up that's just as big and as meaty as the... Uh, Bond series. Yeah, I think we'll have to have a think about what series we go into next. Um, although I am very tempted by the idea of going into some oldies like you've been doing, um, 
But yeah, other than that, because the series that you and I watched together this week was quite lengthy and there's quite a lot going on. The only other thing I watched this week, Dan, um, was a stand-up one-hour comedy on Netflix called Jerry before Seinfeld. Um, And he takes the stage at the comedy club where he began his career. And he's just funny. And I guess if you don't find him funny, then he'll never be for you. But for me, he is absolutely top tier, genius level of comedy for me. He's one of the top of all time. And he's just, he's just so watchable. He's always so wholesome. He's got this great ability just to get up and talk about life and the simple things and observations he's he's never controversial or swearing and you know and i don't mind that if you think about someone like ricky gervais but there's something about seinfeld it's just always good wholesome and you know you could probably have you know the, the family in there watching it with you it's it's just good he's he's in his 60s and i really struggle with that idea sometimes because the way he's living his life and the way he talks he just he seems like he's in his mid-40s like like myself so um this was a great great watch it's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because I recently watched a, a Jimmy Carr stand-up special, and it's full of bad language. And um, like it was, it was funny, but it's funny because of the of the crassness of it. And I think that's where you've really got to give it to the likes of Jerry Seinfeld, because I think the fact that they can create humor out of everyday situations, which I guess ultimately what Seinfeld the show is all about, yeah, is so good and. I think you're right. Like Seinfeld is a comedian that you either get or you don't, and I think it depends on where you sit on the spectrum of things that annoy you. That's that's exactly what it is. And the, I just looked the actual the rating for this is a twelve. So yeah, you literally could you know sit down with the with kids and it's uh yeah like I say he just talks about his life, the simple things he he talks about his journey. So he doesn't even really talk about the TV show Seinfeld because it's more about his stand-up journey and coming full circle. And there's some really great archive footage of him, what his first ever jokes were that he told. Um, and what's interesting is, is that every now and then, of course, the way he talks, when he gets overexcited and his voice goes quite high pitch, he dips into that Seinfeld character. And I just think there's a fine line between Jerry Seinfeld and the character Jerry Seinfeld. And of course, I guess he decides when he's on stage, how much he, he, he consciously must know that he's, he's dialing it up a bit. And of course the audience react to that and it's, it's just great. And then funny enough, we, we also watched the, the episode of, um, comedians, comedians in cars getting coffee featuring Larry David. And so as fans of, of Seinfeld and also, um, through yourself discovering Kirby enthusiasm in, in the last few months, this was just a real tweet. Uh, it was just two of my favorite comedians. And again, I, I mean that when I'd say both of them would be in my top five now, just sitting down, having a coffee. It was, it's just absolutely a must watch. And it surely amazes me when I think about how the two of them actually get on. Like it yeah. almost like they're, they're like two positive magnets, right? That shouldn't, that's right. It, it shouldn't be possible. They're two negative the two magnets. Them, two, yeah. Two negative. That's probably a much better way to put it. They shouldn't actually be able to connect at all, but they do. And it's, it's magic. It's funny you say that as well then. Cause when they sat down and they were talking that they literally within the first two minutes were like, do you know what? It's amazing. We got any work done ever. Like how did we ever create anything? And of course they've created one of the most successful things in history. He's got a, Jerry's got another TV special going into production later this year called Unfrosted, which is all about centered around the invention of pop tarts. So I will be there for that as well. But yeah, uh, Jerry before Seinfeld is available on 
Netflix. But yeah, other than that, it's the stuff we've watched together for me, Dan. Awesome. Shall we jump on over to the much-hyped, mostly on my part, <laughs> um, a book of Boba Fett, Chapter 7, In the Name of Honour? In the Name of Honour, our finale, Boba Fett and Fennec Shan face an escalating conflict, is what the synopsis tells us. A whole lot more than that happened in this episode. A whole lot more excitement. Maybe some of the things that we were talking about on the podcast last week didn't come to fruition. Maybe there was certainly a couple of surprises. Um, so if you haven't watched it and you're going to, I think, maybe skip ahead to our, our next um, review because um, it's going to be hard to not talk spoilers then. Yeah, I think it will. And I think I I did myself a disservice getting as hyped up as I did last week. And I remember sitting here recording. I remember before the podcast, I was like, oh my God, it's the chapter seven tonight. I can't wait. I'm so excited. I've been obviously texting you back and forth all week, all day about like, what about this? What about this? What about this? So I, I brought that energy to the podcast. And I think when I watched the episode, I was like, I, I wanted so much more. So I did what any true fan would do, Paul. I watched it again, not straight away, but I, I sort of, I let it sink in. Yeah. I let it sink in for, you know, 48 hours and then I gave it another go. And I think there's some things in this episode that are good, but there's definitely a, a few things that aren't. And I think overall it's it's so weird, isn't it? Because it's such an uneven season where, and I'm beginning to feel like this is a season as opposed to a, a miniseries. And I, I, I know that that's you know not noted anywhere, but it just it very much feels like it's kind of set up for more. Um, before I go too much deeper, what what are you thinking? As the same as you, Dan. I did a, a second watch as I did with the previous episode, and um, with that hype removed, um, I probably enjoyed it more because I was kind of on edge waiting for something or someone to show up and so that distracted me it was kind of like I, i've talked before about watching the force awakens just sitting there for two hours going where's luke where's luke where's luke? and and actually not being able to relax um so i hear what you're saying there was um i was because i've you know a lot of there's been a lot of reactions to this online i was probably more positive to this one than than i was negative the the things that uh, annoy me in this were relatively inconsequential in the end um the things that maybe pull at me or just bother me are actually maybe some of the direction that the story went in the present because when i look back and i know we're not doing a serious look back but when i look back on all of the past scenes in the back to tank i loved every minute of that and when i look at the stuff that happened in with mandalorian having come into it for the last three I've really enjoyed all of that. There was some stuff that they tried to do in the present, which of course is where this series is primarily set, that I didn't enjoy as much, except, ironically, for this episode, because the the battle that occurred in the present in this episode, for me, was absolutely epic. And of course, the the situation with Cad Bane, I thought that was really well done. I think this is the thing, right? Like, I, I completely agree with you. The I loved all the stuff with the Tuscan Raiders. I love getting the um, Boba surviving the Salic Pit and sort of uh, his sort of journey to recovery. And I think, as you say, that the flashbacks were great. The the Mando stuff, like, I think 
like I, you know, like I loved it. I love seeing more Luke. I love seeing it. Like I love getting more Grogu. Um, and you know, I know there's a bit of tension around, you know, it's kind of servicing that you know potentially season season three of of the Mando. It it is a little bit tougher, I think, in you know the present day Boba Fett stuff. But there's so many moments I loved, and I think you're right. Cad Bane, hundred percent. Cad Bane, such a badass, great character. Love seeing him sort of brought to life. I actually loved Boba on the Rancor. Like that, there were some incredible scenes and incredible CGI. Some great sort of King Kong throwbacks. The way that they were. Um, destroying the city and climbing up buildings and ripping those giant um, mech droids apart. Amazing. I I love to see uh, Mando and Boba together. I thought they were just, it was so great having them just be complete yeah. badasses yeah. and their best car armor and, and taking people out. I thought some of the, it's funny because it's some of the minor story parts, which you're right, don't actually matter, are the things that have kind of dragged it down. And it's like, you know, like everyone talks about the scooter gang. Like, first of all, the worst. Like, get some get some bigger guns, like those terrible pistols, those ironing boards that you ride around town. Like, I, I feel like there was a missed opportunity with Fennec. Like, Fennec is absolutely amazing. Fen- like, so well acted, so interesting. Didn't really get a lot of, I think uh, – enough action in the in this whole season i think some of the the decisions for the way it played out didn't often sit well with me like like for example let's send wookie the croissant uh, black croissantin into the district where he's just ripped the arms off one of those yeah. those people and have him hang out they're like you're not going to put like a number one enemy of you know that anyway the way that the they sort of were, did the communication back and forth. The fact that, you know, Boba Fett has a palace, and I know they didn't want to fight there because they probably didn't want to destroy the palace and have that kind of ruin and, and canon. But, yeah. like, we've got the city locked down. And then literally three seconds later, Cad Bane comes strolling through, and he's got a whole bunch of sharpshooters on the roof. Like, it just seemed like there was a little bit of bad writing and sort of play out of some of those things that, that could have overall made it – a a bit better and a bit tighter. And I think it was always going to be a little bit tough, right? Because I think you've got to remember with the book of Boba Fett, like this is ultimately about Boba Fett. And we've been, you know, we've been having the best candy available for the last two episodes, having all these characters that we truly want to see. And we actually did have to come back and finish finish the story. But I think just the, the ebbs and flows, like if you're a DJ on a dance floor, Paul, you have to manage the people like getting hyped up, getting their drinks, coming back on the dance floor. And I don't think that my emotional uh, journey was managed well over these seven episodes. DJ Whiting on the turntables, the beats keep coming. I think there's a couple of things. One, as you said, Boba and Mando together, absolutely superb. When we If we go all the way back to episode four when there was that whole oh we need some muscle and then they played the mandalorian theme and we started talking about the idea of the two of them being together and of course that never transpired and now we got it and it was as good as we expected both of them on their jetpacks you know a really good action scene really good fights and you know they really gave their all they also you know met their match and needed some some assistance and that's how it should be that was absolutely fantastic um the other thing that was resolved, of course, was the Grogu. Will you will you choose the red tablet or the blue tablet? You know, he made his decision. There was a lot of people surprised by that. I think it was something that you and I kind of picked. Um, it was great having 
him in the mix as well. Um, yeah, the I mean, the Rancor and the riding of the Rancor, I remember you messaging me beforehand saying it was going to happen. I've wanted to see a Rancor out of the cage, not just like when we saw him walking into the palace, but actually out there fighting ever since... I mean, this is back in the day when I was playing. Do you remember the the, uh, the Force Unleashed, nearly twenty years ago? And that you know there was rancors in that, and I thought, oh, it'd be great to see that in Star Wars. And it was great. There was just there was a lot of action. There was probably more action than story. Um, and I feel that, and we kind of called it last week that they they did such a good job with Episode Six that it was always going to be hard to try and top that. And I wonder if there was elements that could have been switched in some respect. I think you're right, and I think because on my rewatch, I was like, God, this battle takes up, you know, a good 30 minutes of the actual show, and it's like, yes, it was trying to sort of paint the picture of this, this is hard battle to fight, but I don't think we needed 30 minutes, and I think I would have rather have had another 10 minutes kind of exploring where is Boba and Co going to go next. Like, they kind of implied that, like, we don't really want to rule anyway. Who can, who else can we kind of hand the throne over to? And I, I don't know, it just kind of... I have to remove the the awesome stuff from uh, episodes five and six. It kind of left me wondering, did we need this story? And how does it fit into, and I think there will be a reason for this, like how does it fit into the wider stories that they're wanting to tell? And obviously they're wanting to tell more stories. And obviously I think we're going to get more of Boba and we're going to get more of Phoenix. And I think uh, that's that's great. But it, yeah, I just think it was, I think because we just went on such an intense journey. And I've got a question for you, Paul. Hmm. So... In The Mandalorian, the show is called The Mandalorian. What if that this is about Grogu as The Mandalorian? Like, what if it's not actually about Din? Like, what if, like, this is the journey, ultimately, of Grogu becoming a Mandalorian? That is an interesting question, and I have long given up on dismissing things because they always seem to come to fruition. It's an interesting call. It's quite possible. It makes me think about the the last jedi and what people assumed that meant and who the last jedi was in that movie and, and actually what that was um that's very very possible because this isn't you know this isn't cool this isn't called din you know this is the mandalorian you're quite right it's it's more than feasible and i think now that he's made his choice i i hope they stick with that choice and that there's not a change of heart and that he runs off to the order how um how hyped up were you when you saw that X-wing? Oh. I was like, oh my god, I can't believe Luke's here or Ahsoka. Or I was like, oh my god, now we're going. It's going to go down. I was absolutely shocked. In fact, when it started, um, and it wasn't with with, with Grogu and and all that, I was like, oh yeah, no, they they've left that story behind. And Dan and I got it right. Yeah, no. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the X-wing came in, and I had visions of me singing again. And it's um. And it was very well done, of course. So they, you know, had uh, Grogu sitting in the in the cockpit. It was it was nicely done, and we didn't need Luke to come in for that at all. It was it was it was great. Um, there was a few things that were um, slightly saddening, like the the gamma the gamma Rowan guards. Like I don't know, I just had a connection to them, and suddenly they're they're, they're loyal and they're fighting right to the edge of the cliff, and they're going over and. Yeah, I don't like that either. I, I'm I'm with you. Um, they've always kind of been, I think, quite intriguing characters as guards, and I think these ones are even more intriguing because they they seem like young Gamorreans as opposed to kind of like yes. the, the bigger, more plumper ones who wear their big armor and sort of 
you know, furs and stuff, whereas these guys, they, they generally seem like young guys trying to sort of make their way in the universe, like everyone. They, they really do. And it's, you know, I mean, you and I have talked before how much we love Return of the Jedi as kids anyway, but I think it's given me more of a, an appreciation of that movie as an adult as well, because now when I watch it, there's so much more depth there. What I find, and again, appreciating this isn't a retrospective across the series, but what I find is to some of the reaction that I've seen online and other people I've been talking to at my workplace, there's a there's a lot of negativity around what this series should have been around. And I think on reflection, and this is the same with The Mandalorian, I was never overly excited about the fact it was the Mandalorian. I was never overly excited about the fact it was the book of Boba Fett. I am very excited about the Obi-Wan series. I'm always excited because it's Star Wars, but I've I've never come in with these massive expectations around what a Mandalorian might be or what a Boba Fett story might be. And I think there's a lot of hardcore fans that get very big on Mandalore and very big on these these niche characters like Boba Fett that maybe feel let down by that present story. What about you? Yeah, look, I think overall, my my general vibe is I'm so grateful to have live action Star Wars. It's beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah. And I think what I enjoy a lot a lot about the Star Wars universe, and I imagine it's the same for uh, many different genres of, of TV show movies, is I just in love I, – I love, like, theorizing. I love, like, thinking about, like, how it's connected, what else could be. And I think with these types of things, it's never probably – and I think we've experienced this a lot – it's never quite as good as you as it possibly could be. And there's reasons why it's not, because they've got – 15 other television shows and movies all in the work that they're trying to sort of keep connected and you know building toy lines around and they're you know they're not building this or creating this just for us because we're like hardcore star wars news like they're also trying to bring on board a, a new younger generation who get excited about these characters for whole different reasons other than us so and i think my biggest thing with i think everything star wars for me is a, a lot of the times you go into these things because you're hyped up, you watch it, you're like, Ugh. but you know what? They age like a fine wine, Paul. Yeah. And I, like, I'm a, like, you know, if you had asked me 15 years ago, what do I think of the prequels? I'd have been like, garbage. You ask me right now what I think of the prequels. Amazing. I absolutely love them for everything they are. And especially what I love about it is, the, the prequels in themselves, like, you know, I know these flaws with them. I know these things that like people don't like, but we get them. And then we get like the universe expanded on with TV shows like the Clone Wars. And we just get so much more richness that you could have never possibly imagined. And I think the book of Boba Fett is just another element of richness. And you don't have to love all of it. That That's, that, that's kind of up to you. And it, it's, it's frustrating that... And, you know, we're equally as bad because we sit here week on, week out, like bagging <laughs> things, talking rubbish, telling the people at Walking Dead they don't know how to write characters, saying that we should direct Star Wars. But it's like there's a there's a lot of other stuff that has to go into this to make it work. And like it's like it's still good. Like it's it's maybe just not what you personally wanted it to be. And I know, I know that's the case for me. Like it was like I wanted more. But at the end of the day, I still had a fantastic time. Yeah, I, I, I feel the same. And the other thing is um, a shout out to to Mary Morrison, who, you know, ever since his arrival in The Mandalorian and just that moment that we, you know, in the hood and we realized it was fat, he has brought something 
to the series. He's brought some to this universe. He's brought it back. He's had some great moments, particularly in the past scenes with the Tuscan Raiders that we talked about. And I thought he had a couple of episodes where, and I don't think this is his fault because you know he's sitting on a throne trying to talk politics. That's 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 not going to work. But this final episode, back into battle, and then his his just even his facial expressions with the the battle at the end with Cad Bane. He really raised his game, and I think um, even though I'm sure we'll, we'll see him in the Ahsoka and Mandalorian seasons, I, I think he's he's done a great job for this character in this series. Definitely, and like I I I would watch a whole series on Fennec Shand. Like yes, I think like I want to see the the trials and tribulations of her being a complete badass, taking out bounties, building her own little squad. Like so good. I think the. And and I think she did get that sort of moment to really shine at the end of the season, but she, it was kind of annoying that she was just sort of a, a sidekick this whole yes. time because I think she's got so much more to offer, and we've seen that in uh, in the Bad Batch, um, and in, and in other TV shows. So hopefully we we get more of her. Question for you though, again, Paul, Cad Bane, is is he is he dead or is he? Uh, are we going to see more of well, him? Well, see, as as it started to end, and I just I just said, oh well, I guess he was pretty old. You know, he's, if you think about how old that character is, all the way back to the first time we see him in Clone Wars, he's he's in his seventies, and so I was kind of, oh, fair enough. You know, he's he's. But Diana looked at me and she goes, look, and then we went back, and the the little red light on his suit was still flashing on one side, and I'm like, nah, I don't know. I'm with I'm with Diana, like so basically because that like wasn't flashing before, and you could imagine you know some type of life support system. We know that Cad Bane has a has a droid that um heavily supports him. Yes, all sorts of things, and not not to mention the very end of the the episode. Oh yes, um look yeah and and even Boba himself mentioned I owe I owe um Black Crescenten a. I go in the back to tank, like which is kind of like a little bit of force healing, right? Like no one ever really gets yeah. hurt if there's a back to tank or the or there's force healing. Um, so I, I would imagine we'll see Cad Bane again. It may not be for a while though, because I think it's he's got to be in the right the right way that we tell that yeah. we tell his story, and it might be continued through different mediums, right? Agreed. Yeah, I, and I think the mediums thing is a definite thing because they're going to be looking for stories to to play out in books and comics and so on. Um, on that note, uh, on the back to tank, um, whilst it was a little disappointing not to get any sort of trailer in the post credits, I did like the post credits cutscene to see that Cobb um, was obviously on the mend um, in the back to tank. I thought that was quite nice. Yeah, look, I I like that too. I'm glad to hear that Cobb is still going to be around. I think I love this whole sort of uh, Wild West yeah. vibe that basically that Cobb and Tatooine and Cad Bane all, all bring to the table and I'm very intrigued to see maybe what uh, enhancements Cobb maybe maybe gets as oh, a result of, of yeah. this and that's what makes me think like is this like I know that it's kind of pitched as a miniseries but they could easily probably do another season even with what they've got and you know take on a little bit of feedback and it's I say this with, with such gritted teeth I think if we if this had been a five episode show and we didn't have those those two other awesome episodes, it might have felt more contained as a Boba Fett story. But I think they just they took me to Candyland, Paul. That's right. And then they, they pulled me out. They said, Eat your veggies first, you know? That's right. They really did. I feel like 
Uh, I'm not convinced. I feel like this is what it is, to use a bit of a cliche there. But um, I, if it is just this miniseries, then I actually think it would have been nice to have got 10 episodes and just expanded on a couple of things a little bit more and fleshed a few things out. Not the Scooter Gang, that's for sure. Um, but if it's not, that's great. I will definitely be there for a, another season of this. I, th- I just feel that there's so many other things on the go that if they are to do that, they may they may leave it sometime and they may bring it back when the other the other um, series have, have taken the story further forward and then maybe there's another chapter to fit. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. Well, it does feel like we're we're very much heading to some type of sort of larger Mandalore type thing happening. And obviously, we, we've got Bogotan, we've got the potential of Sabine, we've got obviously Boba, we've got uh, Din. There's enough Mandalorians kind of around that it could almost even be a whole different sort of spin off show again, couldn't it? That sort of really could. bring some of these characters together. So, look, I think um, you know. It's not without its flaws. Yep, there were some unnecessary spins by the Scooter Gang as they were um, shooting with the world's smallest pistols sometimes. But overall, looking at it as a whole, I had a good time. And look, I just keep keep giving me more Star Wars stuff. As I say, I'm, I'm hyped. I'm on the spice. More Star Wars, less spins. Yep, that's right. That's right. Oh, well, it's, it's been a ride, Paul. It's been a ride, that's for sure. And we've got a couple of months until, well, three months, I guess, until we get our Obi-Wan series. And I'm already, like you reading Ahsoka, I'm already getting hyped up thinking about diving into an Obi-Wan series that I feel, I feel a rewatch of the Star Wars movies coming on myself. Yeah, no, look, it's definitely it's it's definitely needed. And I think just to remind everyone, I think though I was a, a big advocate in wanting a trailer for one of the shows at the very end of this, um, and we didn't get it, I still think it makes complete sense that, that we didn't get Obi Wan because yeah. different timeline. Yeah, too confusing sure. for people. You've got you've got to you've got to manage the um the secret timeline. Correct. Nicely put nicely put. Uh Dan, shall we jump across to the other thing that we watched together this week, the eight episode season one of the Amazon Prime series Reacher. Yeah, so this is, I guess, you know, uh, there's been a few Jack Reacher movies. There's obviously been hundreds of uh, Lee Child novels around Jack Reacher. I've read, I've read. A few of the, a few of them. I know the earlier ones were definitely really solid, and I know that as time's gone on, they've they've kind of dropped in in quality a little bit or a little bit same same. Um, I was intrigued coming into this TV show. Like I, you know, we we talked about it a little bit last week. Um, like there has been the the Tom Cruise version of Jack Reacher, and now to um see it in a in a TV show, I I actually had a pretty good time overall. I think. It, there's a, a few things in here which I think um, make this show a little bit quirky, but overall, eight episodes, hell of a good time, good amount of story, good amount of action, follows the first book very closely, so I think they've got some very good source material. Uh, look, I'm intrigued. How about you, Paul? I feel so modern and hip and cool right now because I've just spotted that this is popularity number one in the world at the moment in terms of 
TV shows. It's normally you watching the cutting edge new things. It's never me. This is the first time I've watched a number one. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. I had an amazing time. My experience and knowledge of, of uh, Jack Reacher is limited to the two Tom Cruise movies. I've never read the the books, so I don't have that that insight that so many people do because I know obviously Lee Child has been very successful with those books. But first and foremost for me, I just thought that um, uh, what's his name, Alan Alan Richardson. I thought when I when I first when the first when the camera first panned across and I saw him because I hadn't really seen anything beyond the poster. I just thought, oh my goodness, is he just? Because he's a huge, he's a built unit, right? I just thought, is 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 he going to have the the necessary acting ability to go with it? And I just think he was absolutely fantastic. I thought his delivery of lines was superb. I just thought, as Reacher, and again, someone hasn't read the book, I just found him very, very convincing. A great character, ex army. He switched on. He's you know strong, intelligent, but he's just such a nice guy as well. You know, he's got great manners. You know, even when like he broke out of the um, the the plastic whatever the, the zip tie cuffs, he was like picking up, going, "Oh, you guys recycle." You know, there was just everything. I thought he was fantastic, and so because I bought into him, the rest just followed suit. Yeah, and I think this is the thing, right? And and I don't want to be one of those people that harps on about books all the time. You know, just because I've read one book, you know. I'm a big deal. So <laughs> I think this is the thing in the books, right? Like Reacher is a big unit. Like and he's a highly skilled, like multi sort of discipline unit. And he he travels light and he takes no crap from anyone. And this was the challenge with the the Tom Cruise division, right? Because though Tom Cruise, I think, is a awesome action hero, he is not a big um unit who like like he's he's fairly sort of understated and so there's there's pros and cons to that but I think to this version of of Jack Reacher for me very closely aligns to to what the book portrays and I think that's going to work for a lot of people there's a few moments in the show where I did find Reacher a little bit annoying like he's a little bit pretentious all the time and he's kind of like he just he knows better than everyone else and he's he is such a, a big strong unit and like I was laughing that every time he got into a fight, I'd be like, headbutt, and then he'd do a headbutt. <laughs> and he's, he's just he's just smashing people around the place. And I think it the show kind of like sometimes sort of felt like it was a little bit like fun, like a little bit like cheesy funny, but it was also very serious. And I think it, I just had a great time. And I think the other thing I've got to give the show a really big shout out for is the um, – the lady Willa Fitzgerald, who plays Roscoe uh, Conklin, who's one of the uh, policewomen on the show, who who works alongside Reacher. I think they did such a great job of having a a, a much smaller character be just as badass as as Jack Reacher and have those sort of two characters go go toe to toe. This is a good show. I think they they've had a real sweet spot with eight episodes. I think it was just enough to tell the story. It's definitely got me hyped for season two. I'm glad they're already on board for doing a season two. Mm. It, it's this has got the potential to be a a six to eight um, season show. Easy. Yeah, because there's that many books, right? The, um, and and so many of them, obviously top tier. I'm sure they'll 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 choose the ones which would work for television the best. Um, there's a lot of things you said I agree with because he he is. He's overly confident that it comes across as as um, arrogant in, at times. The relationship with Roscoe was really, really good. Um, yeah, Willa Fitzgerald, she was really good as what uh, as Roscoe. The other 
Um, the other supporting cast member I thought was really good was Malcolm Goodwin as as Finlay. I thought his character was really entertaining. And I thought the back and forth between him and Reacher was just just superb. I um, I mean, if I'm going to start picking holes for me, I thought that the ending drifted away from what made when i think about what made this first season really good i felt that the end it's kind of like how we talked about the book of boba fett they just they just fell into action so much and because you know we all know that richard will survive there wasn't that tension for me and i thought that there was just a there was just so much action in that final episode that this the finish was weak they they also dragged out so once the you know the good guys have won and we all got to say our goodbyes I felt that they dragged that ending that 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 part out just a little too much. Um, so yeah, those were a couple of the things that I sort of thought, oh yeah, that's that wasn't as great. Also, where's my opening credits, Dan? Where's my opening theme song? When I look, when I think about uh, Bosch or Homeland or or whatever it is, the there's there's part of those opening credits is part of my experience, and I felt like. That was a missed opportunity here as well. But if that's the extent of my criticism, it can't be that bad. Yeah, look, I, I, it's tough, right? Because I think, like, I think for me, like, you're right. But I think for me, like, the memory of like reading this book, it felt so, it followed the book so closely. Um, apart from a few sort of extra scenes, particularly sort of about flashbacks to when he was much younger, um, it, it kind of. I'm looking forward to seeing the next season of Rich, and I hope it's one I haven't read, to be honest, because I, I felt like I knew all the things that were going to happen on this journey. And I know they've kind of switched it up like a little bit, but the, the general premise of um, of the Killing Fortress is based on um, it, it followed that. But, yeah, I think the the things that you mentioned, like, fair enough, I think this is definitely like, – this is this is a, a good show, I think, for most people looking for a, a new binge because I think there's a little bit in there for everyone. Like, it's got a – it's got – a relatively decent story. It's got some fantastic action scenes. It's got a, a a relatively newish cast that a lot of people might not have come across before. Um, and yeah, there's a, a few quirky bits, but it you know what eight hours of viewing, you, you yeah, can do far worse. Oh, look for eight hours. You're right. I mean, if I, with the exception of the ending, I, I felt like it was always, it was engaging, it was entertaining, it was funny. I thought the dialogue. I mean, that that comes as no surprise given it's on a best-selling book i thought that the the writing was just top-notch this uh, superb production value the directing the editing the fight scenes were were really superb some of the cinematography for that was just brutal and some of the noises with bones were just like like you know we watch this in the evening and we're sometimes eating you know crisps and chippies and things it's like really makes you just want to stop for a moment it's it's quite brutal but i think you take a great character like this you take the great writing you give it to an actor who who can portray everything and not just the physical stuff and i think you're on to a winner and i'm the same as you i i can't wait for another few seasons of this it's interesting right because amazon prime also has jack ryan they've got all the jack <laughs> all, got- all the jacks have i ever told you paul about my story about getting lee child's autograph this is a story I've not heard and we're going to hear on this podcast right now. So Lee Child, the author of the of the books of the creator of Jack Reacher, he was doing a book signing at Whitcalls in, in Wellington. Wow. Believe it or not. Little old Wellington. Little old Wellington. And this is, this is a good 
12, 13 years ago. And so a young Daniel Whiting, very excited, heads down to Whitcalls at lunchtime on Lampton Quay in Wellington, gets the latest copy of the Jack Reacher book. Too scared to say, can you sign it for myself? Um, I say, it's my flatmate's birthday. Can you please sign this book for him? And write, to Dan, happy birthday. Now, it was my birthday, but I didn't want to tell him I was Dan. But it was very cool. I've still got it. There's so much I appreciate about that story. Mostly that you told us the truth of that. That's amazing. Um, it was your birthday and you met Lee Child on your birthday. That's great. And was it was it this book, by any chance, this story? No, no, it wasn't. Okay. No, it wasn't. Um, I don't have it immediately in front of me, but yeah, it was. A, it's 10 books later, I imagine. That's great. That's so good. That's so good. Yeah, I um, I'm really excited for more of this, and um, it was, it's definitely a recommendation for me. I think too. If you are ever looking for a good, easy action book to read over a holiday, highly recommend these books. Like they're they're they they're so easy to just consume. So if you like the TV show and you want to find more Jack Reacher, there is a ton of content out there for you to read. So. Check it out on Amazon Prime. Awesome. Awesome. Then uh, shall we head across to our weekly feature? It's Movie of the Week. Indeed it is. So each week, Paul and I take turns choosing the Movie of the Week, which we review right here on the podcast. If you would like to watch that movie with us before we talk about it, then you should come and join our Discord channel, and you can find the notes for joining that in the show notes below. This week, Paul, we are taking a look at the 2017 movie, Good Time. So before we kick into this movie, Dan, I just want to say that Movie of the Week is actually my it's my favourite segment of our podcast. It's the thing I probably enjoy the most, and one of the reasons for that is because it's not me picking all the stuff I'm watching and you've picked some things that I would never choose to press play on. And sometimes because we're doing this segment and I choose one, I think this, this is not going to be for me. This is not going to be for me. And then it turns out I really enjoy it. And this is one of those times. And whilst enjoy might not be the, the appropriate word given how much sadness and how sorry we feel for one of the characters in this in this movie. Uh, I just want to start by saying that because this was a movie that caught me off guard and I really, really enjoyed it. So this is about a, it's a, a it's set after a, a botched bank robbery that um, lands uh, our main protagonist's brother in prison. He then embarks on a twisted odyssey through New York's underworld to get his brother out of jail. It's good time. I had a good time. What about you? Yeah, look, and I think just uh, before again before we jump into it, the reason the reason I picked this movie is I it's it stars Robert Pattinson, who, you know, when you say Robert Pattinson to people, they normally think one of two things: Twilight, yeah. or he's going to be Batman. Yeah, and there's not a lot in between. And you know, you hear a lot of people talk about it, actually, particularly, um, you know, they make fun of of the the Twilight universe and you know, love it or hate it or whatever. Robert Pattinson fantastic actor and I was really intrigued to kind of watch a, a a slightly darker grittier movie to maybe sort of start getting me into the the Batman zone yeah well see that's it when you, I mean you always give two choices and and so well, this is one of the most drawn this because of course he is going to be our Bruce Wayne he is going to be our Batman which is a big thing and I, I'm 100% with you this is for me this is now three hits 
in a row with Robert Pattinson. So we've got Tenet, we've got The Lighthouse, and now with with Good Time. And in each case, probably The Lighthouse the most for me. But in in each case, there's in each all three, he's really impressed me in the way that he comes across as this character in this movie feels as natural as any role that he might ever play. And because this is so far removed from who he was in The Lighthouse or who he was in Tenet or who he was in Twilight and who he will be as Batman, I feel like he has so much in his locker that I am going into the Batman now with these three hits in a row, just thinking this is going to be great. Yeah, that's right. And I I think, um, so this movie is intense. And I didn't know much about it either, sort of coming into it, but apart from sort of what we just talked about and kind of an intriguing looking poster. And it's it's actually directed by the guy that's done Uncut Gems. So if you've listened to the pod for a while, you will know that when we talked about Uncut Gems, the anxiety-driven, intense, one of the most intense movies we've ever sort of talked about. Yep. Um, on movie of the week and this movie doesn't have the same level of intensity but it's still very intense so as Paul was just sort of talking about the the context of his uh, Robert Patterson's brother who's um, got a few sort of uh, issues I don't know if it's a learning difficulty or some sort of mental disability yeah yeah Yeah. and so he's 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 arrested um, Robert's character is trying to basically like save him. He he's basically been his primary caregiver, by the sounds of it, sort of in this movie for um, all of his life. And it's one of those movies that it's set. It's almost sort of like a real time movie that's set over the course of an evening, and you just go on this such a a stressful journey where you feel for Robert Pattinson's character Connie so much in the the anxiety that the pressure is under, that he's just trying to protect his brother. You also care so much about um, his his brother, um, who's actually played by the director, Benny Safdie. And it's it's just a, a really interesting, different and intense movie. Really intense. It's um, And I, I do want to talk about um, Benny Safdie because you're right, him and his brother Josh directed this. They also directed Uncut Gems. But Benny's performance in front of the camera um just as as nick what a what a brilliant performance i mean possibly you know we're talking about how good rob Benson was possibly standout of the whole film i've and i think that i i really f- felt for his character so much that it's it's why i left the movie with such an emotional feeling for his character's journey. And I love that it basically started with him and and essentially finished with him as well with so much else going on in between, but just, yeah, just an extraordinary performance. And it's interesting when you said, Oh, you know, I really felt sorry for, for Robert Patterson's character. I I didn't at all. I actually felt like, well, you've got him into this. You deserve everything you get now because you know, you, I know you, you've got good intention, but the way you've gone about it, I just, I just felt so bad for his brother, but I loved every part of uh, Connie's journey in terms of trying to break him out from the, from the randomness of getting the wrong brother out of out of hospital to the tension of the of the bank situation the wheelchair going onto the bus there were so many elements that were just um just superb um also um 
I presume you know this ball, but Benny Safety is actually going to be in the Obi One series. Oh, get out of here! He is a tremendous actor. He's. He, oh, I'm so pleased to hear that. I just, I, I, I guess I've, I've sort of come to know who he is as a director through those two. Oh, there he is. There he is. He is too. I'm trying to think if I ever seen him in anything before. I don't know that I have. He's superb. Oh, that's great news. Well, you know what it's like these days in, in Hollywood, Paul. Like, if you say you want to direct a movie, bam, you're a director. You know, so if we ever want to do it, we we just put our names in there. That's it. Because you you don't have to come from anything special. I'm probably really like playing down all the film skill and all the you know special stuff that these guys have been doing all their life. But you know, another like these young brothers taking on some pretty awesome movies and and putting out some great stuff. I like you. Uncut Gems was an absolute treat, and this. This uh, is along a similar vein. It never lets you rest. Um, as you said, not quite as much as that, but um, there was a great support cast here as well. Um, Jenna, what's her name? Je- Jennifer Jason Lee, just superb in this role because she just comes across as just a, a hectic person anyway, and she just plays that so well. Um, Barkhad Abdi, an actor I loved, and Captain Phillips. I thought he was great as a security guard in this. There was... There was just so much about this that was good. It was just the randomness in which the direction of the story went. Like they happened to be in this building because of the security guard and they only happened to be there because of a series of events. But um, yeah, it was. I came into this thinking I was going to be a bit of a heist movie that goes wrong, but that was done and dusted within the first 10 minutes, right? Yeah, look, I, I came into it kind of thinking the same thing, right? I I was not quite prepared for the the more... Uh, emotional sort of journey of this movie yeah. and I think what's, what's so hard about it is the, the movie starts um, with with Benny Safdie and he's kind of getting some some counselling and some support and and uh, Connie comes in and kind of rips him out of that, env- that environment and then obviously they, they get into this sort of this heist and then I think ultimately the way the movie ends with him with Benny's character ultimately getting the the support that he probably should have got right at the start that would have like limited all of this this chaos kind of happened. So there's kind of a, a a good but sad outcome for this sort of deeply troubled character. Peter, the psychiatrist who's talking to him at the start, I remember thinking at the time, oh, what have I seen him in? I know I recognize him from something. I've just clicked on his name, Peter Verby. This is his first and only acting appearance. And he's about, I don't know, 60 odd, 65 years old. He just has one of those faces. He was superb. How that's his first ever acting job, I don't know. I thought he was great. The only, the only thing, and I don't have too much negative to say about this, but the only thing I did pick up on that I was interested in your opinion on was uh, I thought the music choice uh, was quite interesting. And the length at which some of it played was quite odd. It was a very 80s electro. I mean, it added to the intensity, but it did feel not out of place, but it was very a very deliberate choice and i'm not sure what i thought of it yeah i think they were almost sort of trying to go with a bit of a a, a tone weren't they with the, with the music and the, the sort of the the color palette and yes. the, the visual effects of, of the film and yeah i think you're right like i'm not I, yeah it wasn't maybe quite in sync but it, that would very much be sort of packing some picking holes if we had to question for you dan um not that I'm suggesting you and I rob a bank, but it did appear in this movie to be relatively simple to to get away with just putting a bag on the counter and saying, passing a note and saying, you know, give us the money. And if they had just gone with the money and the till, which looked like a significant amount of money in itself and not actually been greedy and said, we want some more, which gave her the chance to then put some um, 
what was that exploding red powder, which of course was crazy in itself, but it looked a little bit, there was, uh, am I thinking it was first sort of a bit of far-fetched in terms of how simply they got away with it? Look, I don't know. Look, the Half Mishes podcast doesn't condone bank robberies. <laughs> if you are going to do a bank robbery, I think always take a full measure, never take a half measure. And I think that you've you've got to really have all the all the steps planned out. I actually think in terms of getting the money, in today's day and age, you know, health and safety is paramount for most companies. And I would imagine, again, this is not advice, that if you ask for money, that's probably handed over with relatively low low fight right because in the movies that we kind of used to seeing like the more sort of western bank robbery yellowstone type situations like who knows who's pulling out a gun but i think in that kind of like everyday situation it probably potentially would play out like that yeah no good call good call and on the subject of guns i give this one three and a half guns how about you oh a half uh yeah look i'll match you on that three and a half let's uh let's lock it in definite recommendation from us and as we said if you do enjoy this one go look up uncut gems because i might even place that one just a just a little bit above because it's that that one there is a real intense ride so a couple of goodies even thinking about uncut gems i, I feel nervous i feel like i'm yeah. a bit like i'm about to like break out in a cold sweat yeah that's right okay that's great um then of of everything that uh, we've watched and talked about in this episode of half measures um looking back on everything i've watched my pick this week my pick of the week it's a close call but i'm going with reacher um and that's probably the standout for me across everything and i think it's because i've always wanted to know more about this character without having to 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 read books As, as i said earlier i've got a enough books lined up to read and this gave me a great look into a character and it was just a highlight every night to know i had an episode of reacher to go for but how about your week I'm actually going to really just, you know, throw throw the world into chaos, and I'm going to go for the book that I read on Ahsoka. Nice. Like I just, I just had such a, you know, like we talked about all the Star Wars hype. I think I got it. I got what I was looking for from the book, and not like from an unrelated book in the universe that I, I love and care about. So, I and I've just I haven't been able to stop thinking about it since I stopped reading it, and it just makes me so much more excited for the Ahsoka TV series. And as I say, it's really getting me thinking about watching the Clone Wars and Rebels again. I, I think I'm in such a state of shock now. I probably haven't given enough of a full reaction to this because I've. <laughs> I don't say I feel alone, but I've got these 40 books here that I've been reading. And I I, I feel sometimes you want to talk to someone about a book and unless they've read it, of course, they can't have that full, true appreciation. And that's why I'm so desperately trying to get my son to, to read them as well. And it's one of the chances that the one person I know who's standing up these books is, is the co-host. That's brilliant. Look, you know, I've got a bit of a, a history of reading about one book per year. Yeah. So I'm hoping, like, because I feel like if you read books, you're like, you're slightly better than everyone else. And <laughs> I am hoping that I can maintain this level of reading because I'm all about it. And I think, as I say, if it keeps giving me the new content that I'm looking for, you're in for a, you're in for a ride, half measures fans. Paul Canal, we'll be doing joint book reviews before you know it. There's almost a spin-off podcast coming. Have we got time for that? Have we got money for that? We'll have to see. Maybe we'll check the budget. So, Dan, uh, what have you got on the news desk for us this week? 
Okay, now last week uh, we talked about Better Call Soul coming soon. It looks like we've now got um, official dates for when that's coming. So you were telling me I might need to hurry up and get this rewatch into kick it into high gear. So the sixth and final season will premiere on the 18th of April. And the season's going to kick off with two back-to-back episodes. Um and it's going to be split into two parts. So we're going to get the, the first seven episodes uh, will be um, starting from the 18th of April. And then the final six will roll out on the 11th of July. That's really good. I love that they're splitting it down the middle. Um, April sounds like it's going to be busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of stuff to watch. I am really excited about the idea of these little spin-off animated shows that are coming out as well um i have been looking forward to better calls all season six so much that it feels like i've almost forgotten i've been waiting for it it's, it's been so long and i'm already thinking will they will they give us will there be something at the end of that i'm already thinking about the end of that in terms of will there be another another spin-off series will it be about gene will they go before you know will they do something else because this is universe just like star wars that i don't want there to be the end you know I've said it once, I'll say it again, give me Beat Cop, Mike. That's I it. Want, I, I want all of it. It would be, it's Jonathan Banks' age is the problem there, you know, because it would be so good to see him. Maybe maybe they could do it with a younger actor and have him do like a voice narration. I, I think that's how you do it. I, yeah. I don't know. It's just There's so much there to be explored that uh, it would be a shame to see it. Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about that when we get there. The next bit of news has come to quite a shock to me, Paul, and I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. So in March, these shows are leaving Netflix, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, and all other Marvel TV shows. So I, I don't know about you, but I sat with a certain level of comfort that I know that you know, Netflix isn't isn't carrying the mantle forward with these TV shows. I've I've mourned that process. I've been, you know, actively waiting for Disney to sort of pick these up, and we we're now seeing that start to happen. Very cool. But I've just sort of been sitting there, comfortable, being like, anytime I want to, I can go back and watch three seasons of Daredevil, two seasons of Punisher, I can watch The Defenders, I can watch Jessica Jones, and you're now telling me that Netflix originals are coming off Netflix. I knock me over Paul I'm I'm deeply saddened it's making me consider do I need to go out and find these on Blu-ray like I like I just thought Netflix originals I've always got them but it turns out I don't I I don't know why this doesn't surprise me I guess I I don't want to feel like I know it all but I I, I'm not surprised at is it because you read books (laughs) it is it is I'm not surprised that this happened at all because there's been I guess it's the the original part that that's probably the most shocking. But as soon as Marvel talked about the fact that they were going to be doing it and something else, I that just for me meant that was it. at some point it would be pulled off. It's like um, Paramount Plus. As soon as they announced that they've got Star Trek, I knew at some point that. And so Star Trek has slowly but surely different series have been taken off of um, off of Netflix. And I've just just started a Voyager rewatch and I have them all on disc and I can easily play them on disc, but there's something about just being able to press play on a streaming service and download onto your phone. If you're on a train, that's so handy. So yeah, it is a real shame, but I hope that the silver lining to that is that 
that is because there's the new material coming and maybe there's some deal they've struck with Netflix that would enable them to have those original series stream on Disney Plus. I can't imagine it, but who knows? I think they're going to reappear somewhere. I think they're they're of too higher value um, to not have, like you know, to go to like they could go to a Hulu or they could even go to a Stars. I think the the risk is going to Disney's. I I don't think they're necessarily set to the tone that Disney's maybe looking to portray these characters in. So it's just um yeah, it's it's really surprised me. I thought I was moving away from having to own things like um, DVDs and Blu-rays, but it appears not. Well. Other things on the news desk. So the Blade Runner 2099 live action TV show is in development at Amazon. Very exciting. Um, you and I are both big Blade Runner fans. So mm. um, very excited to check that out. We've also had, uh, it's obviously been the Super Bowl weekend. So we've had a few trailers. We've had the first trailer for The Rings of Power. Um, I don't know if you've checked that out, Paul. Yes, I have. Yep. Yeah. I gave it a look. Any immediate reactions? I thought it looked looked good quality i don't know why i would um be surprised to say that but i kind of wondered if it might and i thought it looked good quality um it looked highly ambitious i i hope there's i want a sense of story uh when i think about what i appreciate about the hobbit and the lord of the rings movies not the books um is is that story and i hope that that's what's going to be there because that's what i think of I'm. We're obviously going to watch this TV show. There's no two ways about it. Mm. But Samara and I both watched this trailer, and we were kind of like, "Oh, like, like, I be careful." Yeah, you're, <laughs> you're touching like, something sacred, right? Yeah, this this is the secret fruit, and I don't know if it's because you know Lord of the Rings felt like you know it was filmed in New Zealand, and I know that like we don't we don't own Lord of the Rings, and we you know we're we're nothing to do with J.R. Tolkien, but it just feels like, oh, you, you're taking something so sacred and precious. I felt nervous because it also looks so polished at the same time and, and obviously done to quite a, a different um, way than Peter Jackson would have made these films. So mm-hmm. I, I am intrigued but apprehensive. Yeah, no, hey, fair cool. Another trailer that um, popped was uh, a new Marvel movie for um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. A lot happening in this trailer, Paul. You know, you know, my new take is not to get too deep on trailers. Watch them once, maybe, if at all, and then sort of like just let it sit. Another one that's going to be kind of intriguing showed some interesting things in there. There's uh, We might have seen a little bit of... Uh, Dr. Xavier, a little bit of a X-Men crossover and some other characters, but intriguing. Um, keen to check that out when it when it finally comes out. It was definitely Patrick Stewart's voice. I didn't see him, but I definitely heard him. Mm-hmm, indeed. Um, it looks like Ray Stevenson has been um, cast as Thrawn, uh, who's going to be the key villain in the Ahsoka TV series. Um, again, very, very interesting, very exciting. Looking forward to seeing Thrawn in live action. Obviously, we've seen Thrawn quite a bit through the animated series. So, again, intrigued. It's a, it's an interesting one because thinking about Cad Bane and the beautiful voice that Corey Burden brought to it, and then we had Bo-Katan, and that was Katie Sackhoff in live action and in animated. The one thing that, for me, was so good about Thrawn in Rebels was the voice that Laz Mikkelsen 
brought to it and i wonder if they'll super what's the word superimpose the voice over the top or or what i don't know because i've become really attached to that voice for thrawn i thought it's a really fundamental part of his character it's interesting right because you could almost say the same for ahsoka right like we're yeah. we so used to an ahsoka voice that's true i don't think they will with someone like ray stevenson i think he's he's too big dog um to have a, a different voice but we'll see what do we know, Paul? We clearly know very little about anything in the Star Wars universe. Uh, and then a final bit of news from me. So um, Robert Patterson is hoping that the next movie that comes out, um, hopefully starring him as, as Batman, will explore the Court of Owls, which if you are a Batman comic fan, holy moly, yes, give me the Court of Owls storyline. Very excited about that. I think that'll, that'll be a, that's almost kind of a, a trilogy of movies in itself. So, and I'm very excited that they're already sort of talking about the next movie. And because we know, you know, there's been a few Batman actors in the past that have, have done one movie and they're like, not for me. We've we've seen the we've seen the documentaries of Val Kilmer about how hard it is to act in that suit. Mm. So having an actor that's uh passionate, wants to do more, is very exciting as a Batman fan. Anything from you, Paul? Yeah, a couple of things. I was just looking at Ray Stevenson because you were talking about him like you knew him so well. And I was just thinking, I don't think I've really seen him in anything, which is probably why I'm not familiar with. But he's been in a lot of stuff, you know, Vikings, Thor. Rome. Yep. So there's a whole. Punisher. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. So, um, yeah, it looks like you were probably right there on the voice situation. Um, the, The other things I've got, we've got the 14th Star Trek movie, um, which will be the fourth one for Chris Pine and crew the first one since star trek beyond in 2013 so a full decade jj abrams has announced that this week and we've got zachary quinto back we've got um chris pine simon Pegg, zoe saldana so there's looks like the whole gang john cho everyone is back but oh and carl Urban as well yeah the more i look the more names have signed on so that's great it's been a long time um we talked about the fact that there there was very little trailers this Super Bowl for me compared to to I agree to very most. very low key like no Obi Wan like because that could have been the great place for us to get that trailer yeah. like it's not many movies like normally we get half a dozen like normally my YouTube is full of like here's half a dozen and another dozen movie trailers that you should be yeah. watching but I, nothing I have. I couldn't even tell you who was in the Super Bowl or who, who won it, but whenever there's a Super Bowl, I always think trailers and not just trailers, but big trailers and big reveals and big, you know, I, I think back to, um, you know, like Rise of Skywalker or, or whatever it is. There's always something big going on when it comes to trailers, but. Um, we did get an awesome halftime show at the Super Bowl. Um, I, like you, know nothing about the actual Super Bowl, but that halftime show with uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Eminem, 50 Cent, amazing. Not for me. Um, it's not my cup of tea, but I appreciate it. it. was a very big reaction. A lot of people loved it. In fact, when I think about my work meeting today, the first 20 minutes was all about that. So a lot of fans of that. Now, Dan, Yellowstone, we're big fans of. Paramount Plus has ordered even more 1883, and they want another Yellowstone prequel, 1932. Now, that one really excites me because we were talking before about, you know, is it too far removed from the, the crew that we, we know and love in Yellowstone? 1932, that's, that feels like we would be getting like a young 
John Dutton. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a there's a possibility of a bit more familiarity there. So that's that's a good sign because of course we have yet to to see Yellowstone 1883 here, but it's obviously going down well. It's interesting, eh? Because we get something we love, and then we get a lot of it shoved down our throat. But you know, the the flip side is like you know, you take something like Star Trek or Star Wars or whatever it may be, and you slowly get all these bits, and that's what kind of makes it great. But when it's like, oh, they love Yellowstone, let's give them all the Yellowstone. Yeah. And it's kind of uh, it's the 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 risk radar starts going off a little bit more. Yeah, oversaturation, right? It's um. Yeah, we'll, we'll wait and see on that, I guess. Um, and I think that was the only thing I have. I have heard that there are some images going around the internet, uh, and some of them originally apparently were grainy, but now they're high res of Michael Keaton uh, in in Batman costume from the Flash movie and I have not clicked on any of them. I've seen a link posted in our Discord. I've seen links all over the place. At this point, I'm I want I was really hoping we would get that at Super Bowl. Um but at the same time I also want it just to be saved to be special in the movie. Do you know what I mean? I appreciate your hype for this Paul. I think it's it's annoying that we have to watch a flash a flash movie yeah, to get some that's right. Michael Keaton, but I think, you know, I appreciate that you, your commitment to Sir Michael Keaton. I've, I've never been as excited in my life to see anything about The Flash ever. And I will find a way to go to the cinema to see this movie because I'm I'm overhyping myself about what Michael Keaton's role in this may be. Um, that's all of the stuff I had done. I'll flick over for a mailbag. Um, firstly, your review last week of Yellow Jackets last week was shared on Instagram no less than by Showtime, um, who um, you know we had a lot of traffic come through from the Yellow Jackets uh, followers on Showtime, so that was that was pretty cool. Um, my review of um, Belgravia um, did a post of one of the the cast, and um, Jake Matthews, uh, who's a listener of the podcast, um, wanted to know who the actor was, so we had a bit of a chat and explained who he was and what he'd been in before and said it solved a five-year-old dilemma for him and that he loves the podcast. So that was great to hear from you. Thanks, Jake. Um, Now, I was going to bring this up earlier when we were talking uh, about Boba Fett, but um, Michael Chalmers from North Carolina, who is a man who gets in touch with us, he's never afraid to tell us what he thinks, and that's always good value um there's a flip side to the coin for boba fett and that is that people like you and i dan are invested in the clone wars and rebels and the books and the comics and all the rest of it and so we know about black santi we know about cab bane you know all all the characters um but for for other people who essentially watch the movies and maybe have come into some of the live action who don't uh, appreciate the sorry, not don't appreciate are unaware of who those characters are. It can be somewhat um underwhelming when you get like a massive build up of a character and then suddenly it's a guy wearing a, a wide brimmed hat and they're like, What's what's the big deal here? Or what's what's going on? Why is there such a, a thing with this Wookiee? Why is everyone excited? It's it's interesting to get us a, a different perspective. Yeah, it, it is. Um Look, much like people who read books for who are slightly better because we just we just know we've got the full Star Wars picture. <laughs> I'm just I'm just kidding. I think um, 
It, it is always interesting, right? And I, I couldn't imagine. Like, actually, Samara said the same thing. She's like, oh, who's that guy? Oh, he's cool. But, like, not having that context makes it a very different experience, right? Like, whereas you and I are literally jumping out of our chairs, like we're watching our, our winning sports team finally sort of, you know, score a goal. And it, it's not like that for everyone, which is, it's 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 so weird, right? Like, as a... I guess as a as a teenager, I was always trying to convince my my cousins and my friends to watch Star Wars at any chance, and they they still bring it up to this day with me. Like, oh, we used to make us watch try to watch Star Wars, and it's like I'm just so like I love it so much. I want other people to love it, and it's you know, but it's not for everyone. It's not. I really appreciated the voice for your friends as well. Um, Michael's question as well last week about to sub or to not sub with subtitles. Um, I've had three people tell me that they also have the subtitles on for English speaking shows. So this is a thing. This is a thing I was unaware of, but this is now five people. Um, that's a significant number for me because I don't talk to that many people who who have said, yes, I watch with subtitles on. Um, finally, for Michael, also a big fan of GoldenEye. Um said he would place Golden Knight as his number one Bond movie, as too did Ash uh, in Pam's North, who retweeted us on Twitter and said that it was the best Bond of all of them, in his honest opinion. So a lot of love for Golden Eye. When these people are saying all of them, are they are they including the Yeah, I clarify they're including the, the Daniel Craig's Yeah, point has been clarified. They're 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 saying Golden Eye is number one. And I wonder, because I know at least a couple of these people appear to be uh would have been in that sort of eighteen to twenty two year old bracket when Golden Eye came out, that maybe the good times uh, associated with that time in life may have They're on the spice ball. <laughs> that's the only way to answer it. They're on the spice. I love that. Um and finally, um, the other person who's on the spice, as always, is naturally Paddy from Time Traveling Team, because he was the only person who actually gave us a peak performance for last week's, uh, which was Christopher Waltz. And he gave us his uh, his 3-2-1. <laughs> Sorry, Paddy. He gave us his 3-2-1 of Spectre, uh, Inglorious Bastards, and number one was Django Unchained. That is our mailbag. Great choices. Shall we jump on over to our peak performances of the week? Indeed. And much like our movie of the week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose someone. We look back at their career and try to pick out what we think is their best performance. Dan, this week, we are looking back at Paul Newman. Now, this is tough, Paul, because, you know, Paul Newman, a cinema legend, right? Mm has been around for a long time. But he hasn't necessarily been in a lot of movies that I've watched. But I know he's probably been in a lot of movies that you've watched. <laughs> so this was uh, a little bit of a tougher pick for me, but I still had a couple of movies that, that, that worked for me. So, you know, much respect to Paul Newman. He's, he's obviously a legend, like I was saying. But the two movies that I'm going to give him uh, – Firstly, honourable mention for is the 1986 movie, The Colour of Money. Now, this is a movie, to be fair, I have not seen for a very, very long time. So my recollection of it is, is a little bit sketchy, but I, I do have memories of... Um, of Paul Newman playing Farsidi and him teaching Tom Cruise, a very young Tom Cruise, um, the the ropes of pole hustling, and it's a uh, it, like Tom Cruise is peak Tom Cruise. He's got he's got that real sort of like uh, 
I, I, I don't know what even the word is for his energy. He's, he's got the jumping on the couch at Oprah Winfrey type energy <laughs> with um with how good he is. This is you know we're really in the we're in the cocktail we're in the um Top Gun sort of era of of Tom Cruise and it, he's really up and coming. But to to you know alongside uh, a legend like Paul Newman and obviously a movie directed by Martin Scorsese. So an- another shout out. I, I remember enjoying this movie and I remember enjoying Fast City. But my number one is a movie that has a very special place in my heart, and it is the 1969 movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And the reason, so I remember watching this movie with my dad, and it was one of the first cowboy movies I remember, like like being a young boy watching and just being devastated at just the ending of this movie and sort of going out in a gun battle. And again, absolutely loved um, Paul Newman alongside Robert Redford, had a fantastic time. When I think of, you know, top 10 Western movies, this would probably definitely be in that list for me. I love that. Two absolutely brilliant choices. Um, uh, Eddie Felsen um, in that movie is superb. And his portrayal of Eddie in The Hustler, which was the the prequel to that movie that he did in 1961, um, the way he carries that character through is brilliant. Um, I'm so pleased that you went with Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because I felt an overwhelming sense of guilt that it didn't make my mention or my peak. So I'm loving that because you're quite right. I have seen a lot of porny movies uh, and I own over a dozen of them. And funny enough, the last time I did a top 10 actors of all time, which was back in 2016 for a website called nightgathers.com, Paul Newman was on that list. Um, so this was one of the hardest peak performances I've done for a wee while. But my honourable mention in the end I settled on was 1967's Cool Hand Luke, um, which is an absolute favourite of mine. It's it's a crime movie. It's a it's a prison movie, uh, and and Paul Newman plays a guy who basically gets sent to a rural prison and and he just refuses to conform. He just is stubborn and defiant, and there's a lot of humour that comes through in that defiance and. Newman just plays it so cool and so laid back and he's just he's just effortless in the performance and it's a it's a top movie he got nominated for the Oscar and the Golden Globe for it it's also the movie where the quote what we've got here is a failure to communicate actually originally came from but my peak performance in the end I actually went with another movie that Newman played alongside Robert Redford and that's 1973's The Sting and the two of them they play a couple of grifters who basically want to get their hands on you know a bit more than a few bucks from a game of cards and so they go for the really big con it's elaborate it's uh, a really intricate you get so hooked into the heist once you start this movie and you 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 understand what how the heist is building it is impossible not to finish this movie and as the as the elder statesman, as you would call him, to a very young Robert Redford, which seems funny now thinking about Redford in his eighties, but Paul Newman again is just so assured, he's so confident, and so he and he has a genuine sleight of hand. There's no stunt doubles or hand doubles. He's he's just talented, and yeah, it's it's just the one movie that when I think about all of his stuff, if I was to to go out and pick a DVD from what I own, I would probably rewatch. I swear this would be a great movie of the week. The Sting, absolutely superb. That's my peak performance. 
classic choices, Paul. And it was, uh, it's you know, sometimes good to go with a classic and uh, a, a legend of the silver screen. Indeed, so indeed. Good, good choices. Well, Paul, that probably just about brings us to the end of a, another very long episode of the Half Measures podcast. It's always amazing. We come into these sessions and I think, oh, I haven't watched much this week. It'll be a short podcast. And here we are an hour 45 later. Um, thank you very much for listening and making it all the way to the end. And um, as always, get in touch if you've got any suggestions or comments or something you'd like us to review or a pick performance suggestion, uh, halfmeasurespodcast.com or on social media. And as always, a very special shout out to our Patreon producers, Samara King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Linda Tevner. We appreciate your support and for helping us bring this show to life. If you too would like to become a, a Patreon supporter of the show, you can do that for as little as a dollar a month. And you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.